everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies and hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. Well, it's that time of year, folks. It's planning season. And maybe it's just me, but it's always planning with a capital P on our team. In a typical annual planning exercise, so much work goes into preparing your team and your company for the upcoming fiscal year. Territory planning, compensation, new rules of engagement, not to mention the ripple effects of any new strategy or initiative that your company might have. But this year, there's this new added wrinkle, thanks to the economic uncertainty that is spreading across much of the tech industry. So that begs the question, how does the current economic environment impact your planning for next year? As always, we turned to an operator who is asking themselves that very question right now. And that operator is Heidi Thompson. Heidi is the vice president of go-to-market strategy and revenue operations at Uncork, a no-code application platform, and a veteran of operations teams at companies like RapidMiner, Acquia, and Rapid7. She's also our first ever return guest on operations. In her triumphant return to the show, I asked Heidi to help me and all of you adjust our planning exercise this year to account for the shifting economic climate. In our conversation, we talk about how to rethink your capacity and comp planning for this year, the exercise she went through to audit her tech stack with a fine-tooth comb, and the surprising ask sales reps are making during the recruiting process right now. To help set the stage, let's start by acknowledging what has changed in recent months and how Heidi is approaching this year's planning process differently. I think as we enter this uncertain economic times, we know that our buyers' spending habits are going to change. And part of that is they're going to be a lot stricter with where they spend and how frequently they spend. So with their spends being squeezed, leaders have to think about how do we sell more effectively and efficiently more than ever before. And a lot of that comes back to our housekeeping items, driving daily execution, prioritizing spending time with customers, streamlining number of people who attend a sales call, definitely putting controls around discounting since pricing should be a key focus area during any type of recession. We have to run lean and nimble ops. To me, it's more important than ever that ops, we support fast decision-making for the leaders by providing real-time data analytics insights so that they can move as quickly as possible during these changing times. And you gave a few good examples there. I feel like sometimes ops folks can feel a little bit removed from the actual results, right? It's like, well, yeah, discounting is going to be important or like efficiency messaging is going to be important. But how can I as an operator actually have any impact on that? How are you thinking about that? There's a few ways. I mean, the typical holy trinity of ops, you know, people process systems, systems, whether it be deal hub or CPQ, let's automate those discounting practices. Let's get them in the system so that you're not dependent on deal desks or processes that really introduce more friction into the buying process. You want to make it as seamless as possible internally and then ultimately to the customer. So we can do that with systems and then we can also do it by process. Here's your matrix. Here is who can approve up to 5%, who can approve up to a 10% discount, because that sort of transparency is key to all sales folks so they can operate effectively. 
Heidi is approaching this new economic environment with a laser focus on efficiency. Her goal, as she puts it, is to support fast decision-making. And if supporting fast decision-making or putting discount controls in place sound like best practices to you regardless of the economic climate, well, you're right. But it's no secret companies have been getting away with a lot more, let's call it, looseness in the past few years. So if you have these best practices in theory at your company, it's time to make sure they're actually happening in reality. And in talking to Heidi, it became clear that there are a few different themes for all of us to think about when we're planning for next year. First up, compensation and capacity planning. I am very pleased to announce that we started our FY24 planning in Q3, which is a win for all people. Very, very proud. And part of that is the comp planning and design and the capacity planning. So we all know the goal of sales capacity planning is to map out revenue growth based on estimated sales performance of reps. What's more important now than ever is the model is driven to inform efficient hiring decision in the keyword being efficient right now, because our baseline assumptions change from geos to verticals. Maybe you are well-established in a certain geo or vertical in one area, but how if you are lagging in an emerging market or launching something new, then you have to really, really be disciplined with the baseline assumptions that go into each. You can't categorize as freely as we used to in the past. So taking that with a fine tooth comb, going through every single one of your assumptions and then comparing it to past performance, particularly in the last two years is the only data set I like to look at right now and using that data to inform what we expect in the future. So let's take maybe that new verticals example, right? What are some of the things that you might build differently into some of those productivity, capacity, ramp expectations, recognizing that that might be something where that data set over the previous two years that you just mentioned might be a little bit more limited. Right. Well, let's look, are there any existing customers in the area? Are there references that we can leverage? So there's going to be some of your typical sales tactics with that. But then it's analyzing the OTE multiplier, the attainment methodology, All those different levers that go into your capacity planning, again, fine-tooth comb for each area of the business is really important. So at this point, right, like you're figuring out, okay, how many people do I need? What are some of our targets maybe going to look like? And you've got a couple potential levers there, right? You either need to make the people on the team more productive in order to achieve those targets, or like you've got a couple other levers around like what their quotas are, what the buffer might be between the quota and the plan. How are you thinking about that this year that might be differently from the past? I would say what's different from the past is really looking at the growth area of that region. So not only the penetration or saturation of customers in that geo or vertical, But again, those OTE multipliers and that attainment. Mm -hmm. So what I would want to focus on is what have we attained in the past in any new emerging market? We could use that as a baseline for this one. Or what do we want to invest in terms of capacity as well going into it? So what if we are, just for example, 
going to start marketing to Latin America? What are the resources we need there? Do we have boots on the ground? Do we have customers there that we can reference? Do we have Spanish-speaking resources internally? There's actually a multitude of areas we're going to have to dig into in order to make that informed decision if it's worth it also at this time. But once we decide it is worth it, we then have to figure out what is our true capacity. So if I assign three reps there, their attainment is going to be lower regardless of success elsewhere because it's new and it hasn't been proven. We need to model it out in a conservative manner. Heidi's approach is something you can use in planning for any net new initiative. Are you entering a new region, launching a new vertical? It all starts with scoping your existing traction, understanding any kind of recent success that you can build on, and then starting to map out the capacity of the reps you are trying to plug into that region with the potential of the territory itself. According to Heidi, the next important component of this planning process is the compensation plan design itself. For net new initiatives, of course, you're starting a bit from scratch, but given the economic conditions, Heidi says we should be reevaluating the plans of existing reps as well. We need to reevaluate every single area so that we can actually feel confident in what we're putting together moving forward. That's why we started so early in Q3 is we knew this time around it was going to take a lot more focus and attention than your typical plug and play. Okay, we've done this before. We can do this again. There are so many uncertainties in the future that we want to make sure we conservatively estimate where we can progress. And so how do you do that? How do you take that confidence or lack thereof and bring that into the comp planning process? So one area is the ramp times. We know that typically in our enterprise sales org, it takes about nine months to ramp. And when we're going into these new markets or existing, doesn't matter, we need to take into account that our ramp is going to be longer, that every company is buying with so much more friction in their own internal buying process, their own procurements pushing back, that we need to adapt that it will take longer to close a typical deal. So that's really interesting. If I'm talking with my finance organization about, hey, I need to lengthen ramp times, then all of a sudden... The expectations of these heads get pushed out. The cost of these heads is higher, right? And so we talked a little bit about quota. One of the things that is interesting is like there's these kind of industry standards around quota to OTE, right? And, you know, depending on what you look at, maybe they say four to five X is kind of your target. Some people will say higher, but that might be that target. Are you revisiting down to the nitty gritty like that where it's like, hey, the expectation of what we pay people relative to what they might bring in next year might also need to shift? Yes. I met with our director of recruiting uh, about two weeks ago, and she has seen more and more often the ask for a 70-30 pay mix, which is very, yes, alarming to us ops folks who are used to that 50-50 typical spend But now we need to evaluate, okay, if we want to hire the best talent, maybe it does need to be a 60-40 or 65-35. And we need to determine what would work for us and everyone else for them. But reps are nervous. Companies aren't hitting numbers the way they used to, and they need to make sure that their families are taken care of. And we want to make sure we're hiring the world-class best talent out there. So it is a new arena that we're looking at to make sure that we're investing wisely for the business 
and also taking care of our people. When Heidi says we need to reevaluate every aspect of our capacity planning and comp structure, she means every aspect. I never would have suspected a shift in the percentages of base versus variable compensation, but Heidi and her team at Uncork are having these conversations. And it makes sense. Deal cycles are lengthening, so therefore ramp times have to lengthen as well and our comp plans need to adjust accordingly. The best way I've found to do this is before you even get to the numbers, start with the behaviors you're trying to incentivize and the levers that are available to you. Only once you're aligned on these behaviors should you take the next step of selecting the best possible lever to incentivize that behavior. Okay, so we've just talked a lot about the people side of planning for next year. Let's talk about the technology side. Just as Heidi said that your customers are going to be critical of the purchases they're making, we as operators need to look inward at our own spend and the tools we use. So I was curious how she and the team at Uncork are going about evaluating their own stack. Yes, this is actually very top of mind for me and a huge initiative, not only in our company, but I've heard from a lot of my peers are going through a similar exercise. So we've all heard what gets measured gets managed, and the same goes for our tech stack. We are taking that fine tooth comb and once again and going through and seeing when and how often are people logging in, what's the engagement and adoption of each tool, and that allows us to make a few important decisions. One, can we reduce the number of licenses, saving the company money? Or two, do we need better enablement because these tools do have that ROI and can make them more efficient when we're trying to run lean? So we want to visit each one of those areas to make sure we're maximizing the tech stack for our sales work. And then on top of that, there's also going to be overlap in tools. So we want to see there's so many tools that new releases, new features, and let's be honest, it's almost impossible to keep up with all of it and every email alert you ever get. So one thing I like to do is work smart, not hard per se. And I just emailed every one of our CSMs of every one piece of our tech stack and say, list out your features and functionality in a spreadsheet for me. We took them all, made it into a matrix and just saw what there was overlap. And that's just getting all your ducks in a row to make some really important decisions that'll ultimately help you save money across your tech stack. And I'm proud to say we did save a lot of money actually across our tech stack. So you get this spreadsheet, right? And there are going to be some categories that are super clear overlaps. Okay. These two both do the exact same thing, but there's also going to be, I would imagine kind of this category of, okay, company A is an A in this particular offering, while company B is a C plus in this particular offering. But we really like what this other company does in their kind of core competency. And so how are you thinking about kind of weighing those things? Because I would imagine it's not always, okay, you know, we're going to trade an A for an A. It's usually not that simple. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have had it in the first place. Never, never is. That would be my dreamland. But being in reality... <laughs> I am a bit hesitant to make the gambles on new technologies when I know I have an A player to achieve. So it ultimately boils down to the ROI of what you're trying to accomplish with each tool. If my tool is to make my BDRs more effective by automating some of their cadences per day, I'm not going to go with that 
sea player that is testing the waters and going to have to change a few things over time. Right now, I'm going to play it conservative and stick with what I know that works. If it's a tool that the ROI is more flexible, maybe it's some data enrichment because I haven't found any data enrichment tool to be the best tool out there. I'm okay swapping that out for a year or two with a B player because at the end of the day, you should have enough data as you are right now to be okay. And it's not going to be changing too drastically over the next year or two that I couldn't risk moving to a C player. And it also feels like while some of those decisions probably would lead to more work for you, for your team, for just everybody, right? Because it's not nothing to rip those things out or to consolidate them. It sounds like from the way you're describing it, that the overall cost savings is the ultimate deal breaker on that in terms of, oh, well, if we're weighing out the pros and the cons, like the savings on one tool versus the other is actually the thing that we care about the most, or are there other factors there? I think it goes back to the ROI factor again. It depends on the impact to the business, not just the cost savings. So I do try to find that balance and it's key to know which are your mission critical systems where you can't take those risks and gambles and which are your systems that they're doing okay. And if you go down one grade, you'll still be okay. And it won't degrade your sales efficiencies at the end of the day. Whether you're an operator doing this exercise yourself or a go-to-market team trying to sell to customers who are evaluating their tech stack, you better believe this exercise is happening everywhere right now. And you can follow Heidi's recipe. Start by seeking out any and all overlaps between different tools in your stack. And in this evaluation, you have to consider the cost, the ROI, and whether a particular tool has achieved that elusive status of mission critical. The other thing that became clear to me in talking to Heidi was that all of these planning categories came down to focus. She's applying her fine-tooth comb to every part of the business, territory planning, compensation, tech stack. It's about doing more across less. And she said that attitude is extending to Uncork's strategy as well. I'm actually excited about this uncertain time for one reason. I see this as a huge opportunity to double down on our customers. And when I say double down, it doesn't mean our customer success managers go to meet with our customers more often. I'm actually saying this is a whole company-wide initiative to make our customers happier than they've ever been. And to have the company focused on that customer centricity first and foremost, it actually brings up a few good things. And one of them is we could actually reduce our number of support tickets by improving our customer community, for example, and supplying them with additional resources to help with our community, whether it be domain experts or sales reps, somebody from every single department could come in and cross-examine what exists today, what could be better, how do we improve this overall customer experiences. I also would expect our customer support SLAs and turnaround time to improve over time if our new logo acquisition slows down, for example. And then there's things that we might not have thought of. Does every single one of our customers, are they aware of our six-month, one-year, two-year, three-year roadmap? Let's get their voice into the picture. Let's get their votes included. Are there additional folks within the customers that we could enable? Could our customer enablement team 
work with another department in their organization, for example. There's just a lot of areas to figure out where we want to focus and help them the most. And so as an operator, whether you're the person in charge of the planning for the new year or you're contributing to it, how do you connect all of those business context examples that you just gave to the plan itself? So for example, one way I could see your customer focus manifesting itself is you might say, hey, we're actually going to have a higher percentage of next year's bookings come from the customer base than new logo in this past year because of this increased focus and because we know how hard it's gonna be to close new business. Am I thinking about that the right way? Are there other ways that you can potentially bring that planning process and those business initiatives together? Oh, I think that's spot on, absolutely. The revenue goal is gonna be, you would hope, organically happen over time. Of course, we're gonna drive for cross-sells and upsells, but That customer satisfaction, when you improve it, it organically does drive up that revenue. And therefore, that's what you would build into your model, that you would expect your new ARR to be heavier on the upsell, cross-sell side. Got it. And how do you you pick the stuff that you're not going to do? It's so easy to pick all the things that like, you know, you just listed off seven or eight ideas, right, for how we can make the customer focus better. How are you thinking about, okay, this might have been in our plan six months ago for next year, but this can no longer make the list. Like, how do you even go about doing that? So I think that's my favorite part of this entire opportunity is let's all innovate together, come up with our list of ideas, and then agree on which are the priorities because you cannot execute on all of them or you'll fail on all of them. So coming together and making that a company-wide decision, whether it be voting or the executive team chooses, it doesn't really matter as long as you agree, these will be our three to five priorities that we're going to execute against. And this is how we're going to do it. Once that alignment is completed, the rest will fall into place, but you have to drop off the rest as well. You have to say no, you have to learn to walk away. And that goes the same with selling. It's not a great time to lose focus of who your ICP is. You shouldn't be distracted by the new shiny object or a hot lead that comes in if they don't follow into your ICP, because what happens is they're going to drag on your pricing, they're going to drag on your margins, and it's going to overall reduce that sales rep's productivity. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Now, because Heidi's a return guest, she's heard these questions before, but it turns out some of her answers have changed. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Okay, this is embarrassing, but I am a huge Will Smith fan, so I've read Will Smith's book. I love that. I heard it was really good on audio as well because he's the one narrating it. Absolutely. Yes. All right. I'm the biggest Will Smith fan. (laughs) Favorite part about working in ops? My favorite part of working in ops is that you don't know necessarily everything you're going to tackle that day. And this might actually be the same answer I gave before. Yeah, it still holds true. I go in to work and I have a list of, let's be honest, well over 10 things to do. And I'm lucky if I get to three of them because there are so many things that pop up. Now, I'm not saying I run from fire drill to fire drill to fire drill. We've 
evolved. We've gone to a very good place. But sometimes that list changes. And the one thing that's consistent in startups is change. And I really enjoy it. Flip side, least favorite part about working in ops. Ooh, when people think that your job is a Salesforce admin. (laughs) I think there's still a branding challenge with ops, whether it be sales ops, rev ops, marketing ops, it doesn't really matter. And I make it my goal constantly to evangelize what we actually do because it's so much more than Salesforce or a CRM or just reporting and analytics. You're the data person, right? That's yes, that's, exactly. You're the data person. Cool, cool, cool. All right, somebody who impacted you getting to the job you have today. Ooh, oh, that's a good question. I'll give a shout out to Tom Wentworth, CMO. I think that one is the same as last time. No, take it back. I will double check. Oh Lord. But it's true. I texted him the other day. I can't even lie about it. He is a really great mentor. I can reach out with questions. Sometimes I'm seeing things in the field and marketing is not my expertise. So I can bounce ideas off him. And I'm very thankful for that. I hope he doesn't hear this. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Your turn to be to be the person doling out the advice. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Don't be scared to ask questions or ask for advice. I've spoken on a few podcasts or webinars, and I've received LinkedIn invites from folks saying, hi, loved what you said, would love to chat. And I'm a big believer of pay it forward. I'm very thankful for the mentors who helped get me where I am today. And I love that people have the guts to go out there and say, hey, I would just love to pick your brain. I would love to chat because I never had the guts when I was younger. I really didn't. And it took a while to build that confidence. So it's incredibly cool when I hear from somebody saying they want to learn more because I'll talk ops all day. I love ops. Thanks so much to Heidi for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. If you want to hear more from Heidi, you can go all the way back to episode 14 of Operations to hear from her the very first time she was actually live from Hypergrowth when we interviewed her the last time around. Also, if you liked what you heard from Heidi and want to learn more, make sure you're subscribed to our show so you get a new episode in your feed every other Friday. And of course, as always, leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts six star reviews only. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.